0: Welcome to Andy Staples on three. And I promise we're going to talk some football today. Promise. We're going to talk a little Auburn later in the show. We're going to catch up with former Oregon defensive lineman Brandon Dorless. We're going to talk about a couple of win totals, two win totals to be exact, that are already out there this early date. But they're very interesting. Both of them. Really interesting. One of them is the lowest Alabama win total since 2016. We'll talk about that. But first. We got to talk about another earthquake for college sports, another legal issue for college sports. The National Labor Relations Board, a regional director in New England, declares the Dartmouth basketball players to be employees of Dartmouth College. And this is a very interesting one because we've talked about this with the USC case, which they had their hearings a couple of weeks ago where remember the USC people were trying to claim that they didn't actually have any rules for the basketball teams, which we know not to be true, but this one's different because the Ivy league doesn't give athletic scholarships. So all of these players are, you know, walk on's probably not the right word but that th- th- they basically are uh the Ivy League operates similar to division 3 where there are no athletic scholarships you can get a financial aid package based on need but it's a different animal and so this declaration feels a little bit different but i will point out and this is something everybody was saying bye bye ncaa when when this this news came down on monday everybody said oh the ncaa ncaa's done by the NCAA, you're done, Eh, back off, slow down, slow down, hit the brakes. So here's what you need to remember. As crazy as it sounds, 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago that this happened, but the Northwestern football team, those players were ruled employees of Northwestern University by a regional director in Chicago of the NLRB. That was appealed by Northwestern as this one will be appealed by Dartmouth. If the USC one goes the way we think it will, it will be appealed by USC. And it was appealed to the full National Labor Relations Board. So in 2015, the full board said, no, 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 we are not going to declare them employees because they didn't want to upset the competitive balance of FBS football. And then the reasoning behind that was because while Northwestern is a private school, Most FBS universities are public schools and the NLRB has no jurisdiction over public institutions and employees at public institutions. So that's where that was the hangup. And now a lot has changed since 2015. NIL is around now. You've seen the courts strike down the transfer rules. You may see the courts strike down the NIL rules. That's coming next Tuesday where there's a hearing for that And the attorney general from Tennessee and the attorney general from Virginia are going to argue that the NIL rules are, are a violation of the law. So all of that stuff changing may change the final outcome on one of these cases. But until we see that final, final ruling, I wouldn't say this is it. Now, here's another reason why this is interesting. because. If you are Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti, the SEC commissioner, the Big Ten commissioner, we talked much of the show yesterday about those two getting together to try to chart a new path for college sports because they basically have said, look, the NCAA, the old structure, the old way of doing it, it's not going to get it done. Nobody seems to care that we're up against a deadline here. And I'm sure those two called one another today and we're like, see, more stuff. And the thing about it is, this is the the weird part of the union discussion and I, I wrote this for SI back in I want to say 2014. I think it was I think it was after the regional director's decision on Northwestern when we still you know obviously didn't know what was going to happen with the appeal, but it didn't feel like a slam dunk that the the board was going to uphold that ruling. So I wrote then that there might come a point, where the schools, the commissioners would be begging the athletes to unionize because they might want to have a collective bargaining agreement so that the athletes would stop taking them to court. I actually think they're at that point. Now, the presidents of the university still don't want them to be employees. And I imagine if you're Greg Sankey, if you're Tony Petiti, your school presidents are telling you, we still don't want them to be employees. But if you are them, you are telling those school presidents, we may not get that choice, guys. So if we don't get that choice, how do we handle this? What do we do? Because there is a potential outcome that could be beneficial if this all goes down that way. If if the athletes are allowed to unionize, if they're allowed to bargain with the schools. And here's what it is. Do you want a salary cap? Do you want rules that govern player movement so that they're not free agents. I, mean, I Players aren't free agents every year now. They're free agents every week, basically. Like They can go hold school hostage for NIL money. But if you didn't want that to be, if you wanted a situation where they could only move once every two years or once every three years or however you want to structure it, there's a way to do that. The way you do that is you bargain it with them. You get them to agree to it and then they can't sue you or they can, but it'll, it'll get kicked out of court pretty quick. That's what the NFL has. That's what the NBA has. That's what major league baseball has. Now they don't all do it the same way. Major league baseball has an incredibly strong players union. They have fought a salary cap and managed to successfully fight it off for years and years. The NFL has a hard salary cap. The NBA has a salary cap, but good Lord. What a life if you're like the seventh guy in an NBA rotation. So it is different in every sport. And I talked about this a few times and, and I actually talked about, I was on Cole Kubelik's podcast, my friend Cole Kubelik. Uh, he does a, a very good podcast, The Cube Show. And I was on his show the, over the weekend and we talked about this and he, he brought up something that I've mentioned a bunch of times over the years that I think the players have it as good as they're ever going to have it right now this is as good as it's going to get because they have all the leverage in this particular situation. There will come a point where the schools wise up and they'll either negotiate with them or they will figure out a way to make rules that will not get them sued into oblivion. I think the way to do that is bargain with them. And if the players end up having a representative association that bargains for them, and, and obviously they would have their people representing them, I don't think it would be a particularly strong union. I don't, I don't think it would be as strong as the, the major league baseball or NFL or any of those unions. Till sweat drops down my ball says, how do twenty how do 20 year olds unionize? Would there be a pension? Like how far are we possibly going here? Um, well, 20 year olds are older than 18. So they're legal adults. So they can unite, unionize all they want. And, How far you go just depends on how far you want to go. And like, if I'm the schools and the government says I have to treat them as employees, then I'm going to, well, one, I'm going to ask some questions about Title IX because I'm going to go, okay, I'm not paying the ones that don't make me any money. Or I'm not paying them nearly as much because that doesn't work. That's not how you run a business. So if you're going to tell me they're employees, I'm going to pay the ones that make money. So that's one thing I'm going to do. But the other thing is I'm going to create rules that that actually work. So I think that's the thing. Like the coaches, if you ask them now, they're like, whatever. Don't care if they're employees. Don't care if they're this or that. Like just make some rules. The school presidents don't feel that way quite yet. But they might get there at some point. They they might. They might realize that it is probably the, the only way. Now, I've talked to some ads about this, and and one very smart ad at one point told me, "Okay, the way you do this, because just like the the, and I know we're really deep in the weeds here, and I'm sorry, I promise we're going to talk some football in a second, but this is a pretty big deal right now." And also, by the way, tease on Wednesday's show, Michael McCann from Sportico, uh, law professor, great sports law expert, is going to help translate all of this into English. For us, because as you guys have figured out, I am not a lawyer. But back to what you what you might do. So, very smart AD tells me this, and and I've I've thought about this ever since. This was about three years ago, so uh, this is something that, that people in the business have been thinking about for a while. And this AD says, make them employees of the conference because you do have a lot of issues with labor laws if you're talking about people at public universities because. Heck, there are some states where public employees aren't even allowed to unionize. So you wouldn't be able to have a a union chapter representing that particular group. But if they're employees of the conference, which is a private entity, then that solves one problem there. And also it solves the issue of conflicting labor laws in different states. They would be under the labor law of the state where the conference is based. So like the SEC, you're under Alabama labor law, the big 10, you'd be under Illinois labor law. That is potentially how you get some of this done. And again, we don't know. We don't know what happens down the line because we don't know what the final ruling is going to be. Again, this happened with Northwestern football 10 years ago, and it was overturned a year later. So it, th- there's no guarantee that it gets upheld. And you you know, I, I'm pretty straight with you on this stuff. Like with the case going to court next week with Tennessee and Virginia against the NCAA, I don't think the, the rules, the NIL rules, have a real good shot in that case. Whether that's the temporary restraining order issued soon or it just ultimately loses because they say, we're going we're gonna to do the case, and a few months from now or a year or so from now, it just loses. That's a different – I feel like those rules don't have much of a chance. But this one, I don't know because, again, we saw this happen 10 years ago, and we saw it overturned nine years ago. So we'll just have to wait and see. We will wait and see. Speaking of waiting and seeing, we're waiting a long time for next football season. There's one more football game left from the 2023 football year, and that's the Super Bowl in the NFL. After that, we don't get another football game until they start playing preseason NFL games or we get week zero games. But we can start thinking about the 2024 season right now. And our friends at FanDuel are helping us out. So go to FanDuel.com slash staples. You can sign up. Make one $5 bet. Win it. Get $200 in bonus bets. That's the Super Bowl special. They've got a lot of Super Bowl special bets. We'll talk about those in a second. I want to talk about a couple of college win total bets. So you can do Alabama or Colorado. Those are the two that are out. And both of them are very, very interesting. Alabama, nine and a half wins. Colorado, five and a half wins. That Alabama one is the lowest Alabama win total since 2016. We're going to talk more about that in a second because I I don't know that everybody remembers exactly what the circumstances were going into the 2016 season. We've also got a lot of Super Bowl specials. We've got... Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy to combine for 50-plus rushing yards, plus 150. That's fairly likely there. I, I've given you the one where I, you know, Harrison Butker has hit a 62-yard field goal, and there's a 60-plus-yard field goal. Either kicker hits one. It's a plus. It wasn't plus 4,000. It may have uh, not. Oh, down to plus 3,500. People have been listening to my Harrison Butker stat. How about this one? Plus 5,000. Either QB to catch their own pass. I, we saw didn't Lamar Jackson did that in a game just recently. I think he, he did did in the AFC Championship game. So Brock Purdy or Patrick Mahomes catching their own pass plus five thousand. Woo! There's a lot to work with. FanDuel.com/staples, five dollar bet, two hundred and guaranteed bonus bets if you win. It's going to be a fun one, but let's talk about these win totals. So you can go to FanDuel right now and, and make a wager on these and the Alabama one. So the, the lowest Alabama wind total since 2016. And you know, it, it's, it's amazing that it's, I, I was actually a little surprised. I was going back cause I was thinking it was going to be 2008 because remember 2008, they're coming off the, the seven and six season where they lost to Louisiana Monroe. But it was actually 2016 because remember they win the national title in 2015 and they lost a lot of really good players off that team. A lot of the the defense and then obviously Jake Coker, Derek Henry, uh, Kenyon Drake, I believe was done after that one. So it was a, it was a, a little bit of a talent drain, although Alabama at that point, always had talent so here's how the years have gone 2023 was 10 and a half 2022 10 and a half 2021 11 and a half we don't count 2020 because pandemic and they didn't play 12 regular season games uh 2019 11 2018 11 2017 10 and a half so 2016 you don't know who the quarterback's going to be and remember Blake Barnett was the opening day starter so Uh, You know, going into spring practice, you're thinking, is it Blake Barnett or Cooper Bateman? Because remember, Cooper Bateman had started one game in 2015, that Ole Miss game that they ended up losing. But Coker came in, kind of bailed him out. They they realized, okay, you're our guy. But Coker was done after 2015. So they're trying to figure out what was going to happen. Jalen Hurts obviously comes in as a freshman, takes over in the second quarter of that USC game, the season opener, and then takes it the rest of the way. That Alabama team... Won the SEC, went to the national title game, lost to Clemson on that that last second throw to Hunter Renfro. So obviously they went way over the nine and a half there. But this is a very different situation. No Nick Saban, it's Kalen DeBoer running the show. And you you saw you know you lose Caden Proctor, you lose Caleb Downs, but they still have one of the more talented rosters in America. If you look elsewhere on FanDuel, their national title odds. Alabama has the fifth best national title odds right now, but. It is going to be uh, Zach in the chat. Really? You're not going to count the 13-0 title season? How is it any different than Michigan winning after? Zach, I'm not not counting it. I'm not doing the the preseason win total because there was a pandemic and nobody knew if there was going to be a football season or how many games they're going to play. That's the reason. Stop trying to get your feelings hurt, Zach. Man, people are sensitive. But... So where are we going with this one? That that's that's the thing with with me is, do we think do we think that Nick Saban like how many wins is Nick Saban worth when the roster is fairly similar? Not it's it's not identical, but it is interesting. So the over is still a little bit better odds than the un or excuse me. Yeah, the, the over is still a little bit better, a little closer to even than the under, but it's not much. It's over over 9.5 is minus 106. Under 9.5 is minus 122. So we will see what what is going on here. The other one that is interesting is Colorado. So 5.5. So basically you're deciding, can Coach Prime engineer a two-win improvement over last season in a new conference. And with the way they finished, with the the way the coaching staff changed, uh, remember, what we were talking about last season is, okay, Coach Prime went and got a lot of coaches with a lot of experience. He got Sean Lewis, who's the head coach at Kent State. He got Charles Kelly, who'd been the DC at Florida State and Alabama. Or not at the DC at Alabama, but he'd been a, an excellent recruiter and a position coach at Alabama. He'd been the DC at Florida State. And you know, Charles Kelly's at, at Auburn. Now Sean Lewis, the head coach at San Diego state now. So there are a lot of question marks for Colorado and, you know, they, they got a lot of players out of the transfer portal, but we don't know if they're going to be significantly better. Are they going to be significantly better on either line of scrimmage? Cause that seems to be the big question for them. And I look at that the season opening against North Dakota state. That's one of those that you got to count as a win if you're going over five and a half. I'm not ready to count that as a win. I, I'm just not. So that one, that one's a little tricky right there. And that one, the the over five and a half is is plus 125. So that's the one they think is less likely. But it is. It's it's interesting that they threw Dion out there. They threw Coach Prime teams out there, Prime's team out there right now, just to see. Hey, can we get anybody to bite on this action? Does anybody want this action right now? The Bama one's interesting too because I'm curious to see what that number does. It fluctuate like post spring practice. If Alabama suddenly has an influx of Big Twelve or Big Ten or ACC players who are good from the transfer portal, they're like, ooh, there's some spots open in Alabama. I want to go play for the Tide. Like, does that change things a bit? And again, we don't have a Michigan one yet. That's one that I think could fluctuate quite a bit because we see what they co- bring out of the portal. Auburn's one. Did they get a quarterback out of the portal? We're going to talk about Auburn here in a few minutes with, with Philip Dukes, our newest hire on three. But those numbers as they come out are going to be very interesting. But nine and a half is a fascinating one because, again, the lowest Alabama total since 2016. The question is, does it... Does it change? Does it go back up? Does it drop again? But this is this is very exciting because I like thinking about these games because I'm excited about the twenty twenty four season. It's gonna be something completely different, something we haven't seen before. New new blood in the SEC, new blood in the big ten, new blood in the big twelve, new blood in the ACC. everybody's got different schedules. Everything changes, twelve team playoff. So time to start getting excited now, one team still does not know who their head coach is going to be. I th- well, we think. We don't, we don't think any other head coaches are leaving, but not entirely sure yet. But Boston College still needs a head coach. Pete Thamel from ESPN reported on Monday that they have in-person interviews scheduled with, with several candidates. They hope to make a hire by the end of the week. And really, if you're Boston College, there's not a huge hurry on this deal because you're the only one hiring right now You're not in any competition with anybody else. You have a chance to go make this as right as possible. Bill O'Brien, current Ohio State offensive coordinator, obviously a candidate. Paul Chris, former Wisconsin coach, his name's out there. Al Washington, former Boston College player, current Notre Dame defensive line coach. He's another possibility. The the question is with the Bill O'Brien one, if it's him, what does Ohio State do then? And I still, uh, I'm not ruling this out. Uh, this is this is one of those things that you hear whispered about in the agent circles, but it's it's become more public, really, since Ian Rappaport reported the other night that Chip Kelly had interviewed with the Raiders about their OC job. And remember, weird stuff happened at UCLA post Arizona State game. We talked about this with Jesse Simonson last night. After the Arizona State game, it sounded like there was an effort being made to oust Chip Kelly, and then following that win against USC, it died down. And it could be that maybe Martin Jarman, their AD, was told from on high, like, no, we're keeping Chip. He's fine. But if you're Chip, you don't treat that the same way. You look at that as like, "Uh uh-oh, something's up. And so if he's looking at NFL jobs, understandable. Also, Chip has been very adamant that he does not like the situation in college sports right now does not like having to recruit the way you have to recruit. Now he was never a huge fan of recruiting in the first place. So this, this is one of those deals where if O'Brien were to leave, you have Ryan day who used to work for chip Kelly, who, who I believe played for chip Kelly at new Hampshire. I mean, the, the, there's a relationship there. He would need a play caller. Ohio state can pay a lot of money to a play caller, would that be a possibility? Or would Chip say, No, I'm good at UCLA? Remember, Chip was recruiting, like, took an, a, a verbal commitment Sunday at UCLA. So it's not like he's just bagged it and is out of there. He may be staying. But if Bill O'Brien leaves, like, the most obvious choice or the most obvious phone call you'd probably make if you're Ryan Day is to Chip, like, Hey, would you even consider it? That would be the easiest thing because they understand one another. They understand what, what each one wants offensively. But that's that's the thing. If Bill O'Brien does leave, Ryan Day has to revisit something that was not an easy decision to make, the giving up of the play calling, the deciding how you wanted to do it. And And we've talked on the show, like when we talked with Bobby Carpenter, the former Ohio State great linebacker, he was explaining how big of an influence Kevin Wilson was when he was at Ohio State as a former head coach, former you know great play-calling offensive coordinator who could be a sounding board for Ryan Day. And Ryan Day just didn't, has, hasn't had that or didn't have that last year. And so Bill O'Brien could be that person. If you were to lose Bill O'Brien, do you get somebody else who can be that person? Fascinating question, but we don't have to have an answer to it tonight because we don't know who Boston College is going to hire just quite yet. But they got to make a hire soon, so we'll see. We think it's the last head coaching opening, we think, in this cycle, but who knows? At this point, nothing would surprise me. We do have a big surprise for you, though. We have the newest employee of On3, Philip Dukes. Hopefully, you've seen him on video before. He's fast. He's just great. He's awesome. This is a guy who started out covering Auburn, covering Auburn recruiting, and has expanded throughout the South. and through, And He's going to be nationwide now at On3. He's on the On3 Recruits YouTube channel. He's going to be on this show quite a bit. He's awesome. We had an incredible chat about his journey here to On3, about Auburn. Where they're at right now with the with the great receivers coming in, but not real sure about the quarterback situation and about the state of recruiting in general. So get settle down, enjoy this one. Make sure you're subscribed to the On Three Recruits channel on YouTube so that you can watch Phillips videos. But Dukes is awesome, and I cannot wait to do more stuff with him. Here is Philip Dukes. Big week here at On Three. New show debuting the five-star flex (laughs) with Philip Dukes welcome aboard I just wanted to make sure we talked and we told everybody how to find you but I think the people are going to be fascinated by how you got here and and what what you're doing so Mr Dukes welcome uh Andy thank you man huge fan and uh it's just a pleasure to be here well I I am I am ready I was watching some of your older stuff. So, for those who don't know, Dukes, you know, has been covering Auburn, he's been covering recruiting, he's been doing videos and the casual flex, the, right. the old show. And right. I I I watched one episode where you were talking about what you were doing on a daily basis, and it reminded me of the Kevin Gates song I don't get tired. <laughs> the 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 and the, right. the chorus of that is I got six jobs, I don't get tired. Right. How many jobs did you have? as you were trying to build this career? I mean, at
1: minimum four, uh, sometimes got to five, just depending on what I was doing. Um, But the biggest thing is, I would say I was doing a lot of things, but only one really felt like a job. And that was being an operations manager at a warehouse where I was Mm -hmm. making pretty good money, but it just wasn't where my heart was. So uh, as far as mentoring, uh, which I I volunteer with uh, multiple nonprofits, uh, that at one point in time, one of the coolest things I've ever done was uh, once I started to make a buzz in Auburn, I just went out to like during uh, uh, during the pandemic. I went out downtown Atlanta, uh, Piedmont Park, where a lot of the homeless uh, where the homeless population really resides. And I just started giving out coats and blankets. And the Auburn family was just like, "Dukes, I want to help." And we wow. raised probably we raised like thirteen thousand dollars in like two and a half weeks. And uh, that is crazy. It. Yeah, yeah, man. Like it, it's crazy. Like the power of social media, and when people see you doing right, right follows you. So. Man, that,
0: that's basically it. Just working hard and doing what you know, following my heart. So how did how did you decide to get into? Because you know, like with, with me, it was a much more traditional path where I went went to journalism school and worked for a newspaper and all that. Like, how did you decide I want to get involved and and I want to cover recruiting? I want to cover Auburn. How how does that while you're still doing a real full time job that it takes and family and everything else?
1: Man, I um. So I have so. I had some buddies. so I went to Auburn, and uh, I was pretty plugged in with some guys who were currently involved with the program at the time. And uh, we would just talk ball regardless. They was like, man, you won't believe this kid I'm about to get or you won't believe this coaching move we're about to make. And I was hearing this stuff before it came out. So uh, one day we were just talking, and I was like, bro, you mind if I tweet that out? And uh, he was like, yeah, no problem. So I just made a random tweet, and I, I predicted somebody was going to some school or uh, was going to Auburn and nobody paid any attention so i go to a message board and they're like yeah lucky guess so i said okay <laughs> then i come back again the next week do it again come back again the next week do it again and i'm like whoa so what i did was i got on twitter and i said hey if i get 500 followers i'll tell you who's the next guy to commit to auburn and oh, some kind of way oh, picked up steam. and um so what i would do is i would make my page private and mm-hmm. make people follow me in order to see so I would like put out. It would be open. I put out an eyeballs tweet, and then yeah. people would be like, "Oh, here comes Dukes! Here comes Dukes with the scoop! Here we go!" And uh, in probably about two to three weeks, I had gained about two thousand followers. In six, in maybe about six to seven weeks, it was up to three, and then before I knew it, I had like eight thousand followers, and I got a job, and this—I mean, I got a job writing which I no mm-hmm. not classically trained at all. I did graduate from Auburn but definitely not a journalism major. You could probably tell by all the typos I used to have. No, uh, listen. This
0: is this is one of the, the piece of advice I give people now when when like I meet a high school student and they say, "I want to do something like what you do. What should I major in in college?" And I'm like, "Just whatever you love. Right. Whatever you think is interesting, do that because Like with journalism they're just going to care what you do for work like so if you're doing podcasts or you're you're working for the school paper that's all they care about they don't care what classes you take so like in your case you're getting news that's the most important thing you can do
1: right right And, and i think um being able to package it the right way uh creating some excitement some type of groundswell around it it makes people pay attention and i think that uh when you look at the music industry the way that it it, kind of translates into today's game is that you want people who already have a following. You don't want to have to build people up all the time. And the guys Mm -hmm. who usually get first preference are the guys who can sell out 100 people by themselves before they get ready to get the label behind them and sell out 10,000. And I think Uh that's the approach that I took was, I can show you what I can do with my platform. Now, what do you think that we could do together with yours? And it's worked for me so far. We
0: got to get a street team now that i just realized we, we need an on three street team that, we we to be selling it we're selling memberships out out of the back of the out of the trunk that's, hey. that's the way to do it so nostalgic <laughs> put them on the side like roll out the the, the blanket put yeah. the cds on absolutely like, we'll go crazy that's what, what yeah this show will be available on cd and dvd <laughs> after we uh, listen I got nieces that are like 21 years old that are buying record players. So it's it's possible. Okay. We're right, going to okay. tap into that nostalgia. I, I do like that. So yeah. I do want to ask you because so you, you grew up in, in in Atlanta. So grew up a Georgia fan and then went to Auburn. So you suffered through all of the, the underachieving Georgia years, never got to enjoy what just happened because you were an Auburn fan by then.
1: Yeah, all right. So my mom, so my god brother is the director of player development at Georgia, uh, Jonas Jennings. So mm-hmm. growing up, we went to all the games and all I heard my whole life was, Oh, you got to go to school with Jonas and Jonas gonna take care of you. So when it came time for me to go to school, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just go to Auburn. And it just they were like, Why don't you just go to Georgia? And I've always been the type that was just kind of like I'm gonna do my own thing. So that's kind of where that came about. So I got to kind of enjoy it a little bit because my family's there. But yeah not the way that I would have wanted to now, the caveat to that was I got to enjoy the two thousand and four season right mm-hmm. up
0: uh, yep.
1: at Auburn and I all where we should have won the national championship but and it's arguable to say right now I think that would have been the national champion in this uh iteration of today's championship picking but
0: well that that's the is what Mike like Mike slide was the SEC commissioner at the time right. that experience caused him to basically push to create the college football playoff like that doesn't happen college football playoff doesn't happen when it happens
1: yeah absolutely and then um i think even picking back piggybacking off of that uh the 2010 cam newton year i'm from college park i actually uh spent a year at Westlake high school so seeing a guy come from college park to auburn sort of like me i kind of take a little bit of credit for it yeah but uh absolutely i got to enjoy those years but Man, it's tough, dog. Like just walking through the airport with all the stuff on in Atlanta airport and you got all go dogs every every two seconds. So I mean, it's uh it's been tough, but I'm happy for Georgia and uh Coach Smart. Coach Smart is super cool too. So
0: uh glad for the dogs. Well, and that's the thing, like you, you were you cover recruiting all over, and and especially in your particular area, every school in the country is coming in to recruit Atlanta. So when you're covering these dudes, it doesn't matter where they go. And I mean there's so many schools now that that want dudes from Atlanta because I I my thinking is so I'm, I'm a Florida guy I will always say the best high school football is in Florida the best talent is in Florida but the I think the best combination of talent and coaching is in Georgia I, I Georgia actually me. pays coaches
1: yeah yeah absolutely when they, they just had a uh, a stat that came out about how much the coaches were making in Georgia and, and if you look at some of the facilities like if you look at what Gainesville is doing. You look at what uh, Carrollton is doing, where they've got these million-dollar indoor facilities. Buford is building a sixty-million-dollar stadium. Like, there, it's it's getting ridiculous, and I think that it's attracting the best players in the country to want to come to Georgia. So I think, as far as natural talent, I would I would I would still kind of side with Florida a little bit. But as you said, like the best overall, like the 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 total depiction of it, definitely. i would say goes to georgia at this point now well, i will say this the little league scene in georgia really blew up about eight to ten years ago and mm-hmm. even the founders who really turned that up uh, kj bolden's dad kyle bolden was very instrumental in changing the way georgia looked at uh little league football this, this is a safety
0: for- who just went to georgia
1: yep the safety no, safety in the class georgia. yeah so his dad literally if you look at all of the top players in the past two years 60 to 70% of them came through that program. Julian Lewis, wow. uh, Damari Austin, Jelani Thurman, Aaron Nolan, like all of these guys at one point in time at least went over to that program to play. For, whether it would have been a day or two or a week, they were there. And uh, mm-hmm. he he literally said he borrowed a lot from Florida. So I think Florida's influence definitely, especially starting those kids young with high-level coaching, it really uh kind of changed the landscape and Georgia just kind of took it to a ne- to the next level.
0: Yeah, and and what you've seen with the University of Georgia is them tapping into that, understand. Because I remember, like, I went on Feinbaum in 2015. This is Mark before Mark Ricks last year. And I got asked a question about Georgia. And I said, listen, Georgia's the best job in the country. And if they don't win big, they got to start asking some hard questions about why they're not achieving the way they should be. And people went nuts when I said that. They thought I was crazy. I didn't make that up. Like, you know who told me that? Nick Saban told me that, like, that's that. And and that was his thing is like, if Georgia ever really gets going, it's going to be scary. And of course he trained the guy who got Georgia going. Right. I mean, look at, look at
1: how history changed with Kirby smart, not getting hired at Auburn that year. I think they went with Gus Malzahn instead of Kirby. Right. Um, Look at the the landscape of how college football changed. Like, do you, I'm not sure if, Kirby would have been able to do what he's doing at Georgia at Auburn. And I know Auburn fans will probably be upset with me, but being able to pick out of Atlanta in your backyard and get the pick of the litter, you can still mm-hmm. dip into Alabama, still dip into Florida and you've got a rabbit fan base here. And I think Auburn is good, but, but Georgia's the number one ticket in the state, which Auburn is still fighting for supremacy. So I think that that was a perfect combination
0: for a guy like Kirby smart. And he did what he did with it. So as someone who really understands Auburn, what's the mentality now that Nick Saban is not at Alabama anymore how much does that change like because I think Kalen DeBoer is a great hire but he's not Nick Saban nobody's Nick Saban so what what changes mentality-wise for Auburn with no Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa
1: I think um it feels like now is the time it feels like you've got recruiting uh where you want it Hugh Freeze has done a great job of changing the landscape when you look at what's been going on previously with the previous regime with Brian Harson, where it seemed like recruiting wasn't the focus and the focus was more X's and O's, you can't win. I mean, we talk about the old saying uh, X's and O's. I mean, excuse me, Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's. And I think now you're getting that combination of Jimmy's and Joe's and X's and O's. So now it seems like the time you've got a guy from the Pacific Northwest who may not be as familiar with the landscape in the Southeast where Auburn is making his bones in recruiting. So it just feels like you got a, you got a new, uh, uh, a new jumble trying going to go into the uh, the other side of the end zone. Money is mm-hmm. pouring in. People are talking about how much money Auburn has in NIL. It feels like the perfect storm. You're bringing back Charles Kelly, who's a, a world renowned recruiter. Uh, it just seems like the time is down. I think, uh, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of pressure on Coach Freeze this year, just because of Nick Saban leaving. But uh, I think you have to temper those expectations and still realize it's year two. But yeah, yeah the, when you talk to Auburn fans and around Alabama, it's 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 really it's palpable to say that people are just like, "Hey, it's time for Auburn."
0: We we were playing Cam Coleman video last week on the show, and it was I, I hadn't watched his highlight tape in a while, and I was just like. Good God, Auburn hadn't had anybody like this in 15 years, like, or maybe longer. Like, that, that having a dynamic receiver, especially like you go through Hugh Freeze's past, like, this is a guy who had DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Evan Ingram at Ole Miss at the same time. I, I don't know if a lot of people remember Antonio Gandy Golden at Liberty, <laughs> but that dude was awesome. And yeah. like, to have somebody like that in this offense feels like it could be a, a new beginning here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the the the
1: flip side of that is what people don't realize is Q Freeze is always going to want to run the ball first. And if you look at the, the consistency in those receivers that you named, you look at Gandy Golden, who was about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, you, yeah. you, you look at A.J. Brown, who's built like Batman. You look at D.K. Metcalf. If if Brown is, uh, is Batman and he's Superman, <laughs> what can they do on the perimeter? When you look at the outside zone scheme blocking, what do they do with a with a six one one hundred and eighty pound cornerback? Yeah, they they face plan them, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see Hugh Freeze have a consistent presence on his perimeter receivers, and you're going to have guys in the slot that can move around, and that's exactly what he built in that first receiving class.
0: Well, that's a good point because who has the abundance of six two long corners, Georgia and Alabama? That yep. that's that's what Kirby recruits. That's what Nick liked to recruit. LSU's going to have those uh, for, for whatever reason. LSU doesn't have it right now, but LSU's going to have those guys because they usually right. do. Like that's how you you handle that because, but the the corners just gotten bigger and more physical,
1: right? Absolutely, and 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 when you're sending out the five ten and five eleven guys, and uh, I'm a shorter guy myself, and so no disrespect to the guys who may be a little bit vertically challenged, but <laughs> it's just harder when you can't get your arms out. And these yeah. guys, if you look at the press that, if you look at the way, even when they play press bail on a, on a perimeter, they're still hitting you in the face and then running. So you can long arm a guy at the point of attack and still be able to make plays in the backfield on a perimeter, and that's hard to deal with. But when you bring in these these larger, these bigger-bodied receivers, you can't do that, and then you have to uh, kind of accommodate for it by bailing earlier and so by being able to take pressure off the line of scrimmage on the perimeter by having bigger body receivers i think it's something that hugh freeze is doing on purpose and i think he's doing a great job of it and shout out to uh marcus davis the wide receivers coach at auburn uh
0: up and coming star and i think he's going to do really well in that position well okay we've talked about who catches the ball but now we talk about who gets him the ball because yes see that look on your face okay it was very interesting to me the rhetoric going into the bowl game does it sound like very much a, a vote of confidence for Peyton Thorne like okay we like the way things are going we kind of figured some things out offensively toward the end of the season and after the bowl game it's like oh god no 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 no, we can't, we're we gonna have to do something else
1: yeah um so going into I was privy to some conversations uh that were going on with some of the some of the receivers that they were recruiting out of the transfer portal and what I was hearing was they were showing how Peyton Thorne and, and improved as the season went on, how his reads got better, and how he wasn't getting the most help from his receivers when it, when it comes to uh, opportunities that they were missing by dropping balls and run, and not running uh, Chris Rouse. So when I heard that, I said, okay, I can kind of – when I went back and looked at the tape, I did see that, you know, when Peyton Thorne was, was on schedule – and, and playing with pace, he was a much different quarterback than when he was looking over his shoulder and kind of jumping the gun because he was afraid of the uh, afraid of the pass rush. That uh, the Music City Bowl, you, you would hope, was more so as a, of an aberration and not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, pretty much the norm. But for an Auburn fan, you can understand, you know, the when you see multiple games under 100 yards passing. How that looks more, how that looked more consistent than the positive games. So I was, uh, I, I do feel like uh, Auburn is not going to overspend for a quarterback when they have somebody that that they feel can take that next step uh, in the second year with the second with a uh, spring under his belt. But yeah. I also feel like if after spring, if there's a quarterback that they feel can run and pass and has the capability to lead a locker room and deal with the pressure of coming into a
0: a a job with the presumed starter then i think you could see auburn make a move well and that was kind of peyton thorne's situation last year now he he wasn't guaranteed the job at michigan state so he goes in the portal and winds up at auburn so that that could definitely happen again where you have some situations around the country where somebody's going to come out of spring go i'm not sure if i have this job or not but i think i might be better than what they got right this, this brings me wild.
1: It, it, it really is, and I think um, I think that when you look at the SEC, the SEC rule, I think that's one thing that's handicapping the, uh, the conference as a whole uh, because there are going to be some guys at SEC schools that probably would be a great fit at Auburn in a quarterback role to come in and compete and look for more of a job than you would be able to get at their current institution, but it just won't be able to happen. So uh, Auburn would only be able to look at, you know, other – uh, power yeah, Big five. Ten, Big Twelve, ACC, yeah. Yep, and there may be, a, and I can't see a, a group of five guy that has that type of talent leaving after spring because he's probably already the guy.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, the, like you had the UNLV uh, quarterback who committed to Georgia and then and then signed with with USC ultimately, but yeah, those guys typically get recruited out in the in the winter period. Well, it's funny I say typically this has existed for like two years. Like <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. I, Learn it as we go exactly i tell you as somebody who who talks to recruits regularly high school recruits how do they has has the way the portal works and the way nil works has it changed the way they choose a school at the outset do they look at it like well if this doesn't work i can just move on
1: yeah absolutely um that's definitely something that uh that the recruits are talking about uh there are guys who used to be fringe uh, SEC guys or Power Five guys more particularly that have to go to group of five schools. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, I'll just go here and ball out. Now I'll go to the SEC next year. That is 1,000%. And I've even heard coaches say, hmm, I can't take this kid. Now I'll get him out of the portal. So yeah. it's, so when you – that 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 ideology is going on with the coaches and the recruits, but in particular, the recruits are feeling like you know it's a one-year contract uh mm-hmm. we'll see how i do and if i which, want to stay, which I'll is stay.
0: so funny because that's what it used to be like it used to be a one-year renewable scholarship now it was real one-sided because if if the school decided to to dump you you still had to sit out a year but now it's it's kind of back to that but you're exactly right and and you can do the bet on yourself thing i tell people there might never be a better time to walk on at a, at a power conference school Absolutely. because if you if you get into one where they lose a bunch to the portal and they can't bring in a bunch you may wind up with a scholarship and some playing time
1: yeah and there are some schools um that use their preferred walk-on status they that supplement their preferred walk-ons with nil money from the collective yeah so there are going to be guys who what they feel like you know what we don't have a scholarship for you but you make us better as a whole so yeah i would absolutely take a pwo offer with, with some scholarship money uh well, excuse me with some nil money make sure that my, my my school is taken care of and take a shot
0: at it yeah it's it, it's amazing and it's funny how like the recruits are so fast to adjust to this right. they're so much faster than the adults trying right. to figure out how to do everything but it, it's it, th- these these young guys uh, are they smarter or is it just because everything's changing so fast they just have to learn it fast
1: i mean if you think about it that's part of it but also i just think that the that the the youth today is smarter like if if you look at a baby they're working an ipad by the time they're two years old with no help yeah. uh right now uh that's just that's just the way the world is going it takes sometimes it still take me a long time to log into my computer like they, <laughs> exactly right exactly so uh, when you just look at the speed in which the world is turning, it kind of reflects in the college football field of uh, college football world as well. As well,
0: well it, it's been fun watching the recruits outsmart everybody, so I, I, I'm enjoying that.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, when I, when you hear um, how some of these recruiting stories and they're long winding and the coaches are frustrated, you're going to see more and more coaches go to the NFL. I hear it all the time. Yeah. Man, I'm tired of this. I can't deal with this, dog. It's too much. No, I'm going to the league. I'd rather go to the league. And uh, but and it's because you're once you recruit a kid, you don't recruit, you do not stop recruiting a player until they graduate or until they go to the league. Like if they if they sign with your school, you have to recruit them every year because they have the option of the portal. And whether you mm-hmm. like it or not, they have relationships that they built. And so the number two team, especially for a real ball player, is just sitting there licking their chops for you to mess up. Because as soon as you do, you know, I'll throw your name in the portal. Oh, you're going to just see a a huge wave, especially for somebody who has documented production. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a tough time to be a coach. But I do enjoy seeing how the recruits that educate themselves in the right way, get the right people around them, uh, have been able to capitalize on the new situation. But conversely, it's really, really tough for those who, don't, who haven't taken the time to educate themselves on the rule and sometimes overplay their hand. Because if you look at it, I'm not sure of the exact stats, but there are a lot more people in the portal
0: uh, without yeah. homes than with homes. Oh, you better know you can play before you give up a good situation. Like, yep. And that's, that's a hard thing. That's a hard, you, it's hard to look in the mirror and realize this is probably the best I can get right now. And Absolutely. nobody wants to think that. I mean, when 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 it, when you've been
1: told you're you're Michael Jackson your whole life, like oh you're the king <laughs> of football, you're the best ever, you can moonwalk down the sideline. You, when you're told that from the time you're five years old, then you you get recruited
0: and then you have to de-recruit yourself in order you, to go. You to find out? School? You're actually Rockwell and you need Michael to sing the hook because <laughs> that's that's the only way you're going to get a hit. and you, we might be thank you, Barry Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Rockwell man, but absolutely <laughs> dog, like that's exactly how it goes dukes it's been a pleasure all this stuff's gonna change by the way we're gonna have to talk to you about that too as it's changing but sure. uh we will be checking in regularly please please keep me in mind for the five star flex i was a zero star walk on that's all right <laughs> i would be honored to be on so where where can everybody find you uh fine well first and foremost find me on the on three recruits youtube channel
1: uh, i'll mm-hmm. have uh, at least two uh pieces of content a week Probably a lot more, but uh, original interviews, I'll be talking to players and coaches. Andy Staples will definitely be a part of it, where we'll talk recruiting. And uh, on uh, social media, find me at Dukes the Scoop. You see it in the tagline. And uh, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm, I'm super happy and super stoked to be a part of On3. Oh, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. Appreciate it, Dukes. All right, for sure, man. I
0: cannot wait to see what Philip Dukes does at this company because, I man. He's already a star, but he's going to be a bigger star, and I'm going to really, really enjoy talking football with him over the next few years, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that we went out and got him. It's going to be great. So, little news, little news. Our friend Ross Dellinger at Yahoo reports that the commissioners have finished their CFP meeting. And not anything earth shattering. They've not come up with any sort of grand sweeping anything, and and may not for a little while, for beyond the current contract, which ends after the 2025 season. But they did figure out what they're going to do about SMU. Remember, SMU is joining the ACC, but not taking any conference revenue distribution. They're like, nope, we just want to, we just want to be there. We'll we'll bring our own money. We're SMU. Don't worry, we have plenty. And we just want to be there. And so the question was, would they get a full share as another ACC member would, or would they get a, a reduced amount? It sounds like, according to Ross, they're going to get a reduced amount. And again, I think they're okay with that. That's They just want to be in the club. They just wanted to get in the door. And they got in the door. One man who is kicking the door down, though. Our friend Brandon Dorless, former Oregon Duck. You saw him on the show this season. We talked about his golf. Remember Brandon's dad is a golf pro in in South Florida. So we talked about Brandon's golf and killer short game. He's not he, he's a 300-pound dude, but you're not worried about his long drive. He's going to kill you around the greens. So asked him how it's going with that. He's training in Tampa. He's playing a fair amount of golf. But he's also playing some very good football. He was at the Senior Bowl last week. We talked to him about what he can be going forward and about his career at Oregon. Here's Brandon Dorless. Joined now by Brandon Dorless. Oregon defensive end. Did it feel like college lasted forever?
2: I mean, I I'm still in college right now, you know. i guess uh, all the college best players, you know, players I've seen a lot in college, so, you know. Taking it all in, I feel like this, I can first say this is my last college week of football.
0: How much fun is this getting to play against some of the best players in the country?
2: No, nah, it's something I've been looking for ever since I got into college. You know, he's always in the Senior Bowl, the yeah. best of the
0: best. You know, you walk around, see the 75th anniversary,
2: dudes like Aaron Donald, you know, the best of the best, Clay Matthews. Like, so it's to be able to be here in the yeah. same shoes that they was in, you know, it's a blessing for sure. I was,
0: I was here when Aaron Donald was here and he tore it up. I think he only did one day. And, and the, but it's only, it's the only thing anybody talked about the rest of the week because you know, like, he was awesome. Like, you're talking about a guy who had, so when he was a senior at PIP, they played Georgia Tech, option team. He had six and a half tackles for loss against an option team. Like, you don't do that. And so he gets here and everybody's like, you're six feet tall, you know, okay, you got some good number. First day, they're like, nope, nope, first round pick. No, no question. Oh, yeah. But that's that's what you can do with you know some of the competition you're facing it's it's got to be it's got to be a rush
2: no yeah it brings the best out of you man you know you see guys that they all talk about his first round projected so you know it's like you want to go against that dude so you can show them that okay these guys are going against him. he's also first round.
0: yep yeah so i love it man so it's a, I, I imagine it's a little weird though playing with some guys that you played against i saw so i saw this at at practice, you probably didn't see this because you were you were off in another part of the field. Um, Penix makes a great throw, and Jackson, your center, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, does the the bow and arrow celebration. Are you allowed to do that? I mean, you know, I'm still I still
2: kind of feel away with uh, how Washington beat us. So, uh, me personally, I'm not doing the bow and arrow. But nah, this seeing Michael Penix he's I knew we knew he was a great quarterback, and yeah. you know, just seeing up close and personal. You no, know, I was like, yeah, this is this series. So now thing. you're
0: seeing those same guys, like Roger Rosenyard and their tackles here. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you got dudes like uh, Oregon State. You know,
2: yeah, it's just amazing going against that team again.
0: Is it weird to think that that y'all kind of closed out the Pac-12? I mean, the, the Oregon team next year is in the Big Ten. Yeah.
2: So now it feels it feels weird because now everybody's like they keep asking me to like, yeah, how you feel about the Pac-12 being gone? I'm like, it's it's, it's all right. I feel like it's time for Oregon to be. Showing on these big stages, you know, against teams like Ohio State, Michigan, yeah. you know, Michigan State.
0: So, do you are, do you wish you could play one season in the Big Ten just to see what it's like?
2: Uh, nah, because that traveling is terrible. For <laughs> sure. I would not want to play in Rutgers one day and go well, out I was and back to Eugene.
0: You play in the NFL, you can you can fly across the country too. So, yeah, but I feel
2: like it's different because you know, college, you know, the schedule is different. You know oh schedule, yeah. yeah,
0: but it it is it's going to be so weird when Ohio State shows up. At yeah, yeah, it's going
2: to be, I, you know, I'm still trying to get used to seeing like the Big Ten logo on the jerseys for Oregon, so.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. So, let's, uh, your time at Oregon, you, and you came back to be here, to, to have a chance to do this, and how how fulfilling was was that time? I mean, you're a guy from Fort Lauderdale. You went all the way across the country to go play college football. How'd it work out for you? I mean, I guess I did it right
2: you know, <laughs> since I'm, I'm sitting here. Yeah. Uh, but. Just trusting, just the coach trusting me, you know. Uh, today was weird cause I saw Coach ball again. Oh, yeah. So, you know, just seeing him again, you know, just brings back, you know, good memory. We had a great talk, you know. He said he was proud of me, and I said, Coach, appreciate you for this, man. You know, you got me all the way out for a lot of Fort Lauderdale, and gave me this opportunity.
0: What was that like when he's recruiting you? Because obviously he's a Miami guy, so he, he knows how to talk to the South Florida guys. But, I mean, it's a long way. That's that's a – you're getting on that flight, mom and dad are five hours by playing away. What what is that like?
2: Uh you know you get you know you get homesick sometimes. Yeah. But you know he, he's, he's done a great job for me to make it feel like I was home at Oregon. Yeah. You know I never felt like I was so too far away from home. I always kept in communication with my parents. They did it always all they always came back to see some games, you know. So it was tough but I'm I'm happy that I, I chose that spot.
0: So you're training in Tampa now. Yeah. Who else are you training with?
2: Uh there's a couple of dudes here, you know, Gabe Hall, you know, Ron Wilson from Michigan. Um got dudes from Penn State. So you know it's different. Got Dylan Johnson out of Washington on there. So I see a couple of dudes that already know.
0: Does Dylan talk trash?
2: Oh, uh, man, we talk. We, we, I told him man, we're not we're not gonna talk about that, those games. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so.
0: so, what is it like when when you are training for for the job? I mean, we always talk about this being like a, a three month job interview, but is it? Does it feel like there's that much pressure on you, or does it? Does it feel like okay? I I put this much on tape. Now I just got to answer some questions and, and work out.
2: Honestly, that's how I feel. I feel like my tape speaks for itself. Uh, you know, at, at this point, I guess teams are just trying to get to know you. They want to know the knowledge that you know. Yeah. You know, see how smart of a player you are. You know, just they they, they want to make sure. You know. Yeah. They, if they invest a lot of money in you. They want to make sure that
0: it's the right investment. So, when you t- when you talk to these guys, you know, what do you tell them they're getting if they take Brandon Orles?
2: Position versatility, a dude that does everything for them. You know, I'm not a dude who's gonna be selfish. I do I'll be selfless, and you know, I'll do
0: everything you ask me to. If I gotta play D,
2: i play D D tackle, I play D tackle. So I'm I'll just be a, a person that
0: can do anything you ask me to. All right, you heard that. Strap <laughs> Brandon Dorless. Yes, sir. That's Brandon Dorless. And yeah, I he uh he did see Jackson Powers Johnson do the Little archer celebration with Michael Penix Jr. at practice last week. And I, I don't think those rivalries do stick a little more with some people. And uh, and Brandon, <laughs> you could tell it's still hurting the, the two losses to Washington this year. But man, it, it will be exciting to see Oregon in the Big Ten, Washington in the Big Ten. Yeah. It's when, when we talk about this stuff and like talking about Alabama and Colorado earlier in the show, like, I cannot wait to see what this all looks like, and obviously, there's a lot of what this all looks like with the stuff we talked about at the very beginning of the show also, but again, I'm not a lawyer. Wednesday, Michael McCann, who is a lawyer, is going to join us and talk about that, but who knows? Tuesday might bring even more. That's why we're giving Michael a little cushion just to make sure nothing else wild happens before we talk to him. It's just never stopping. There is no offseason. The, the field, the court, the courtroom, you name it. We'll talk to you tomorrow.